0: 64, a chess podcast, is sponsored by Aim Chess. Use code DAVID30 to get 30% off of your subscription and start improving your chess today.
1: February.
0: Welcome back to 64 a chess podcast. I'm David, your host. I'm very delighted to be joined today by woman international master slash woman grandmaster elect Jesse February from South Africa. Um, Jesse recently won the African women's championship um, and uh, is going to be playing in the women's world cup in Sochi next month. Uh, Very exciting stuff. Jesse, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you, yeah, it's been a busy day. I have a new puppy six weeks old, so he's very busy
0: <laughs> oh wow, well, yeah it's uh yeah uh baby puppy is a lot to take care of for sure uh a lot of work, and I'm sure you're very uh but it's good to have a puppy, I think it's always nice to have a dog um did you uh so I guess I want to start off by talking about this uh the championship that you won um So you've been streaming, first of all, you're a streamer, you stream at Hashtag Chess, um, two words, um, with uh, Women Canada Master Rebecca Selkirk. Uh, It's a a great, great Twitch channel, by the way, you guys should all follow. Um, And we'll definitely talk about streaming a little bit. Um, But do you play in this championship every year?
1: Uh, The African Championship? Yeah. My first time playing in the African Championship was 2017. Um, before that, I hadn't really been able to uh, fund myself uh, to a competition like that because a lot of the African competitions, you're having to sort of pay your way or well, any competition at that, and it's it's not a it's not a cheap sport because in order to improve, in order to earn these titles and all your way to sort of World Cup and so on, you're having to pay for yourself. So uh, my first one is was in 2017. It was in Iran, Algeria. And I actually happened to place tied first there. That's where I received my first woman Grandmaster Norm. And it was actually my most successful one until this year. My second one was in 2019, where I played in Hammamet, uh, Yasmin Hamamet, Tunisia. And I placed eighth. So I really didn't have very high expectations myself this year since I hadn't really put in um, as much training as I should have, but I still made sure that I I spent enough time in, on my chest beforehand. Um, but yeah, it it's definitely different to all the other tournaments that you'd usually play because the continental event, um, I mean, you walk into the hall and already you can feel sort of the tension rise and all the rest, you know, that everyone there is is there for business and everyone wants a piece of you pretty much,
0: <laughs> yeah. What was your um, What was your your thought process like preparing for the tournament? You said you, you just now, you said that um, you didn't feel like you prepped as much as you should have, but did you have some sort of philosophy that you tried to adhere to going into the tournament?
1: I was trying not to think about the result as much. I wasn't going in with any expectation in terms of, oh, I want to score six out of nine or six and a half out of nine. My best score was six and a half previously. And I knew that would at least get me top three uh which is true and I didn't want to think about that because that was just added pressure I mean it's different when it's your first African championship and no one knows you and there's literally no pressure on you to perform but if it's not your first and you're sort of an old customer over the board at a competition like that you're people want to see some sort of improvement and if you don't improve with such you know eager eyes on you um It happens that people have, obviously everyone has something to say and you just want to block out that sort of uh, the comments and so on. And I try to avoid that at all costs because I knew the hashtag members were watching. Um, I knew that people back home were watching. And to be honest, I just wanted to take it game by game. I didn't want to think about the result as much, but rather I wanted to play good chess, solid chess, and be proud of, of my play. I wanted to be proud of my games.
0: At what point, I'm curious, um, did you realize, wow, holy cow, I can actually win this thing?
1: Um, I think the biggest shocker for me was playing against Shaihanda Wafa. And it wasn't my first time playing her. I played her, I'm sure, three times before that. And I never had a a win against her. Um, The last time I played her was in 2017, where I got like plus 10 position against her. And I completely botched the end game and I drew the game. And I've wanted revenge ever since. And to be honest, I was trying to keep things so solid during the game. And somehow she made a mistake and I was able to get like some mate in two. And after that game, I I didn't even believe it. Um, But it definitely made up for the loss that I had previously. And I, I thought, okay, that was my toughest opponent. Now it's just onwards and upwards. So I was excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then uh of course it's a it's a great honor to win and, and you recently found out, like I said, that you will uh you'll be playing in uh in Sochi for the Fide Women's World Cup, um representing South Africa. Uh what I mean, obviously, you know, this is a podcast, no need to leak your prep or anything, but um have you been like really seriously preparing for this or do you have a similar mentality where you just kind of want to just play for the like uh
1: yeah, to, to be honest, um, at the beginning of the African Championship, I knew one thing that the open section, uh, five, the top five players in the open section at the, the final standings would qualify for the open World Cup because I know the World Cup has a much bigger players list now, because in the first round, I think they removed the top 50 players and have the rest play against each other and then the top 50 only play from round two. So that's why the players list is much longer now. Um, but unfortunately, the African Championship for the female section, there was no qualifier. And even if you came first, you wouldn't qualify for the event. So I, I like, did some digging and research. And at the end, I just kind of let it go because it wasn't guaranteed that I was even going to come top three. So I was just going to... Uh, you know not really worry about that but once the tournament was over i tried to contact everyone that i knew (laughs) because it was um it's not something that happens every day i'm the second ever female from south africa to ever win the continental african continental and i wanted to make sure that i was making full use of this sort of title (laughs) so after some digging i was patient and i waited for feedback and soon enough i became one of the nominated wild cards uh, for the event and they sent me an invite and it became official and it was only recently i think it's like a week ago <laughs> yeah that i knew about it so haven't had a lot of time to prepare i think the preparation now is based on finding a flight and huh. i mean it's a 22 hour travel so <laughs> it's gonna be long
0: yeah yeah i mean you're like literally like just flying up the earth, basically. Like, wow, that's a crazy Pretty flight. much yeah. at the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you are a WGM-elect now. Uh, you just need to reach, I think, 2100. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a coach that you work with on your chess? Or is it a that's lot a, of self-study? That's a
1: very good question. For the African Championship, I didn't have a coach. And I went in, like I said, very, well, not as prepared as I wanted to be. So a lot of my preparation and a lot of my focus, I mean, I was doing a ton of tactics at the tournament. That's sort of my secret as well, doing tactics at an event, like 50, 25 to 50 tactics a day. It's just to keep your mind sort of sharp during the, the games. I think streaming helped to sort of keep my stamina up because often we're streaming like chess five hours at a time. So it helps compared to the others where... They don't really play a lot of chess due to COVID, so I was happy. And for World Cup things are definitely going to have to change. So <laughs> <laughs> I reached out to people I've worked with before, and hopefully that that ends up, you know, leading somewhere.
0: Yeah, and it, the, the, it's pretty soon. I think it's what July 10th is the first day. So uh... yeah, so
1: um, arrival is the 10th of July. 11th of July is the opening ceremony. arrivals. And the 12th is round one.
0: Have you ever been to Russia before?
1: I have. In 2018, I played in Kanti-Mansesk, Ugra, also in Russia. And that was my first women's world championship. It was a 64 player knockout. And in the first round, I played against Katarina Lagno grandmaster. (laughs) (laughs) So... I mean, uh, initially, I just to save time and money, I booked my first flight back. I think I maybe booked an extra day just to look around, but the snow was so heavy it was barely possible to go out and do some sightseeing. But to be honest, it was an experience and a half. I played on the stage next to Humpy Kaneru and um, Drew and Jun. And if I looked left, I was literally able to see everyone else playing in that hall. I mean, Kostinuk. The Muzi took sisters, everyone was there. (laughs) So it was an experience and a half and it's very nice to see there were only three players from Africa and that put every single flag of the countries participating on the stage. And it was nice to see the South African flag and know that it's because of me, that flag is up there.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I know that, uh, that your, your Twitch partner, uh, Rebecca Selker has played in the Olympiad, right. For, have you ever played in the Olympiad? I've played
1: twice. So my first time was in 2016. And then again, 2018, and that was also Rebecca's first one. And uh, the first one was in Baku, Azerbaijan, 2016. and 2018, it was in Batumi, Georgia. Um, But in 2017, all the way up to now, I've been South African female champion. So it's it's nice to be able to captain the team.
0: Yeah, and now also a continental champion as well. It's <laughs> pretty sick. I
1: don't think yeah. it's set in yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a remarkable achievement, and um, yeah, um, something I'm I'm wondering about. Uh, it's it's been said, and it, I mean, it, it's it, like African chess does not have as many sponsors, uh, nor does it really have. Um, like, the, the same kind of, like, just not as many players as you would have in America or Russia or Europe. Um, have you noticed, in light of this, like, chess boom, uh, have you noticed a kind of surge locally in South Africa of more interest in chess?
1: Uh, we've definitely found that a lot of people, um, not just juniors, have sort of uh, re-found their love for chess. I mean, maybe they... They sort of sh- share stories like, oh, I used to play at school or, oh, I used to be in the provincial team and so on and actually play some games online and join our chess community. We also found that local streamers, variety streamers or maybe gamers have sort of taken an interest in chess and maybe stream chess once or twice. And what's even nice is, I mean, internationally, a lot of esports organizations have kind of spotted chess And taken on chess as an e-sport rather than as a a sports sport Um, because i mean in south africa it's not easy to identify chess as an active sport since you're sitting on your behind and thinking for five hours at a time and it's not so easy to commercialize a sport where almost nothing happens for like maybe an hour or something like that excuse me um but yeah uh esports organizations have definitely picked up on chess and have started identifying that um, as an eSport and have approached um, sort of chess players and st- chess streamers such as us um, for some collaborations and so on. So it's not entirely easy, but we are trying to commercialize chess on Twitch and sort of offline as well, on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. As hard as it is to say that, (laughs) yeah. I
0: think I actually, I think I actually may have in my, I on my TikTok, I have some some chess content every now and then. I think I have seen one or two of your videos in my algorithm. Actually, that's pretty funny. Like like (laughs) like months ago. Yeah, pretty pretty funny.
1: A lot of top top chess websites have focused on TikTok as well because it's probably the easiest. Um way to grow because often if you're a popular platform in general, I mean the algorithm is going to pick that up. Um, and also you're just going to get a ton of views and a, a ton of sort of um, exposure as well, like chess.com, chess24, and so on. And I've had the opportunity of working closely with both of them. So I definitely know what's going on. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's difficult to commercialize a sport like chess, but we're definitely trying to do that. With hashtag chess, and I think we've succeeded. We've been streaming now for, I think someone just renewed their sub for seventeen months. Wow! So it's it's really nice to to see us grow, and I mean it's it's crazy to think, uh, you know, how we started and where we are now. So it's nice. I've
0: had um I've had James Canty. He was my my first guest. He's also a streamer. I haven't really had anybody else who's like known as a as a chess streamer um but before um since then, what you know. I think your your Twitch account has something like, like 11,000, 12,000 followers, I think, uh, which is huge. Yeah, I think
1: we're like just under 50 followers away from 12,000, which is yeah. nice.
0: So, you know, those of you listening, uh, give a follow to hashtag Chess on Twitch. Great content. Um, what do you guys do to promote your, your Twitch channel? Aside from clips and like, How do you have, is it, I guess I'm wondering, first of all, do you guys have like a team um, or is it just you and Rebecca like, like working on thumbnails and stuff like that
1: we have um sort of gotten help with youtube videos and so on um before but i think it was just i think it was one piece of media we put out that wasn't our own a lot of actually all the emotes uh videos um sort of content on our social media um i do that And Rebecca writes her blog post to post on chess.com. And I try to work on the thumbnails to make it as clickbaity as possible. Um, So a lot of that has sort of been trial and error, learning, um, watching YouTube videos to try and figure things out. And I mean, even streaming on Twitch before we started streaming, neither of us had watched Twitch before. So everything was learning from scratch. And we knew that some things weren't going to work. But I think the most difficult thing wasn't figuring it out, but maybe being on the same page in terms of creative ideas and so on.
0: So, um, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, if you, what so why did you decide to even start streaming if you hadn't really had like much exposure to it?
1: It was a very long conversational, possibly several conversations we've had because Rebecca and I have traveled a lot together before the world Olympiad in 2018 we went to a tournament in Portugal to prepare and just sort of our experience with traveling and walking around and you know taking things in we would I'm I'm bigger not bigger but more active on social media than what Rebecca is and often we throw around ideas and obviously have people tell us oh you know you're traveling a lot why don't you stream or why don't you put content out like that so it was ideas that we sort of threw around but I think I wasn't confident to, enough to start a Twitch channel on my own. And Rebecca definitely wouldn't have done that on her own. So um, I was sort of the idea planter and she was more of the implementer. So in January of last year, we just decided to do it.
0: Yeah. So January 2020. 2020. Yeah. And then March of 2020, the world reached a dark age. Uh, yeah, you... it,
1: was, it was quite strange because I was like, Pre lockdown, pre COVID, everything. So the chess boom on Twitch pretty much started in March, April, where everyone was just, I'm stuck at home. Let me go on Twitch and stream. Um, so our first stream was on the 25th of January. If you look back, there are a lot of clips from our first stream ever. And it was very scuffed, very awkward, and very framey. <laughs> but to compare that to where we are now, we've grown a lot. We've learned. lot and i think we're still learning there's a lot that we can sort of teach and show and sort of talk about if anyone has questions or on stream if people have questions about um streaming and starting out and so on um but like i said we have a lot to learn um the media and everything's changing constantly so (laughs) sometimes it's hard to keep up when you're a boomer such as myself
0: (laughs) (laughs) um You know, I actually, I tried to stream uh, during the pandemic for like a week Mm -hmm. and um, it's a lot harder than it looks. Yes. Yeah. It's really like, especially when you're playing chess, you really have to like talk to yourself too. Uh, I think I peaked with like three viewers, which is crazy. Um, Three people were watching me play like the dragon or someone. Hmm. Um, Is there any like, uh, well, I, I guess what I'm wondering is what was the hardest adjustment for you? Like as you grew your, your Twitch channel? Because you know, going from zero in eighteen months, going from like zero to basically twelve thousand followers on Twitch, probably having a, a reliable viewer base at this point. Um, are are you a partner yet with Twitch?
1: Yes, we got yes. partnered in November of last year.
0: Yeah. So you. Uh, so you know, that's 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 awesome. Um, I mean, I've had I've had so, some of my friends have tried streaming, and they've told me it takes like it took one of them years to get partner. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, you guys did it in a couple of months, but I guess what I'm wondering is like, what was, what were some of the harder adjustments you had to make? Like as you grew your channel, because I'm sure like during the pandemic, especially you had like a sudden influx of people coming to visit your channel.
1: I never really think about how it looks from the outside. I mean, a lot of people come through and it's like, Oh, they make streaming look so easy sort of. And Oh my goodness. Maybe if I stream chess, I will get this many views and so on. But To be honest, it wasn't always like that. The first couple of months, I think we had max maybe 10 people in chat. Of course, some of those people still stuck around. Some of them moved on with life. But I mean, you never really get to know your viewers at such a personal level that you know what they're doing with their lives or why they're not on stream or why they're not visiting you sort of thing. Um, Of course, chess.com was a huge help because as we started, streaming we also applied for the partner program with chess.com there weren't a lot of partners at that time and we were very lucky to kind of get accepted because at the same time I was also um, applying for one of the broadcast positions I'd never commentated in my life um, but somehow I got it and someone literally withdrew and they needed a replacement immediately for the Cairns Cup which is one of the biggest female tournaments in the US OTB. And that was a huge boost because I think that was sort of a month after we started streaming. And maybe from that, we got like 100 followers on Twitch. Um, And also, it was a huge sort of confidence boost as well. What's helped us get to partner was also sort of the embed viewers. So, when you're on Chess TV, so if you open chess.com, you'll often see a streamer sort of embedded in the page. Or if you go to the, the broadcasting page, you'll see Chess TV. And those viewers are sort of transformed to Twitch and you get those numbers. But Twitch doesn't identify those as true viewers. So for months we applied, for months we got denied, we got rejected. And I think it was the third time we applied. And I mean, you don't just apply and you receive an answer. You have to wait for six weeks at a time and sometimes longer and you're counting the days and you're checking your email and you're refreshing things and it's demotivating because you have to continue making content you have to continue trying it's not easy um and then the third time we got rejected but literally all our stats were reflecting you know positive growth and everything we needed to become partner so we emailed twitch and we asked them why and we literally attached all our growth numbers and everything that didn't even include embed numbers and i think it was a week after that they didn't even email back they just approved our partner status and we became partner. wow <laughs> it was a really big moment it was while i was streaming for just 24 actually i was giving a lecture online and i remember rebecca came in chat and Somehow like she never comes and chats, you know, for my educational streams. So I was a little confused. I was also concerned. I was like, are you bored? (laughs) Um, But after the stream, she's like, check your email. So I went on and she called me directly as I checked it. And I think we both just sort of like had these bursts of sighs and tears and everything. And we went live directly after that. And we sort of, celebrated with with wine and sort of called it partner stream and (laughs) so it it took a lot out of us emotionally but it definitely wasn't easy it appears so now but it's it's such a grind and you have to put in a lot of hours in the beginning you stream once for like three hours and you just want to sleep for 10 it's tough (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you get used to it yeah
0: do you, do you remember what do you have like one uh like one thing you've done on stream that's particularly memorable? Hm. I've had some pretty big wins in tournaments before.
1: We played in an event once um not too long ago. I think it was called Chess Done Quick where I literally changed the whole overlay to purple, but it was kind of based on the event. They had issued these like overlays that you could use and in the event there were a lot of prizes so they were called bounties and if you had achieved it before any other streamer then you would win the prize and i think our bounties and prizes totaled to about two thousand dollars in one evening wow (laughs) so that was incredible and i don't think that's ever happened for us
0: (laughs) isn't that like three title tuesdays basically
1: yeah and that's you know, if you win it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. No, that was cool.
0: I also, I recently, uh, I very recently interviewed uh, Eugene Perlstein, the Grandmaster. And He's a he great, said, great guy. And he said that you guys worked together on also for a chess dojo thing, I think.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that competition was called The Ultimate Sensei. And for six weeks, we worked together and we streamed our lessons and he really helped us. I mean, before even... Uh, The event began i knew him and and i I knew of him because i watched a lot of his videos before and i was a huge fan so a lot of it was difficult for me to concentrate because i was just in awe the entire time so i was like oh my god we're working with eugene (laughs) Uh, but it was awesome because we played an initial event and according to our performance in the first event the coaches were allowed to select their players and so we were thinking we would get selected last but Rebecca and I ended up being selected for the same team working under Eugene. And it was, it was a lot of fun because we learned a lot. It was good content. And the collaboration was great because we were actually able to. Um, we I think we had a sub battle against him later on. I'm not too sure. But it was sort of establishing a nice relationship with him, uh, you know, moving forward. And he knows us now. Yeah. So it's it's really cool. I've met so many people through Twitch, so many people that I never thought I'd be able to meet. Anna Rudolph, Fiona, um, Stel Antony, and DM. And to be honest, <laughs> these are bucketless items I didn't think I'd take off for years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are... I, I mean, I, I follow all those channels too. Um, I've, I've Actually, I've been watching Anna Rudolph for years. Like mm. when I started watching chess, yeah, Anna's, Anna's fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, in uh, the
1: past year, I think last year she had about... 20 to 40,000 followers on Twitch, you know, has 250,000 followers yeah. on Twitch. So that sort of growth, it's commendable. I don't think I've ever seen that sort of growth before.
0: Well, hopefully you get that kind of growth on your channel as well. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing I kind of was just interested in talking about is kind of like your own experiences in chess. Like how I'm wondering, like we talked a bit before about like the scene in Africa. Uh, And in Mm. South Africa, is there like a a rich chess scene locally near you?
1: Not near me. Unfortunately, I wasn't uh, too privileged to be born in a city that was rich with chess. Uh, A lot of junior tournaments were sort of organized in my youth. And I played those. But I mean, it was all male dominated. And you'd find that in in a group of 50 participants, maybe four or five of them are females. So you'll find that um, a lot of the the comments you get is like, oh, she's a girl, you know, you can beat her and so on. I mean, a lot of my friends were then demotivated uh, to play chess and they just focused on maybe other sports like hockey, netball and so on. Um, but I sort of used it and, and fueled it. Uh, I grew up, I grew up with a lot of um, male cousins and I had these comments all the time. Oh, you can't kick a ball or you can not play cricket. You're a girl. So I think that helped me sort of feel myself and and get angry and get revenge. (laughs) And so I wanted to improve. Um, Now there aren't a lot of tournaments, uh, especially because of COVID, but even beforehand, uh, before COVID started, the whole lockdown situation, um, there weren't a lot of tournaments and I always had to travel to play. So that's why I started uh, online, uh, university online. So I transferred from full-time on campus to online university where I was able to travel maybe every second month I was in a city, a different city or traveling abroad and so on um, for South Africa or just for myself to improve.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I can, I can just imagine that you, you must have been, so you were probably poaching tournaments all over maybe Europe um, just to try to get your experience.
1: I wish, um, if I'd spent more time in Europe, I think I would be a lot stronger, and also my rating would be higher at the moment. My rating is sitting at like maybe eighteen seventy um but I haven't visited Europe all that much. A lot of it's, like I said, it's very expensive right. um, I'm coaching at the moment. I'm also like the streaming and doing other chess content and that sort of stuff, and that sort of my main focus um, on like earning income. And um, Cape Town and Johannesburg are two of the biggest cities for chess. And that's where I usually find myself when participating. So for instance, the next few months are quite busy with chess events as the World Cup. And then there's a tournament I'm streaming at in Cape Town. We found that the wine farms have taken quite an interest in chess. And I mean, the wine farms are amazing in Cape Town. So it's nice to see the collaboration happen and we'll be able to sort of commercialize the game a little bit more, which is nice. Um, So there's sort of one hashtag chess on board. And yeah. And then in August, I will be doing something for Women's Month, also in the Cape Town region, where I will be giving motivational speeches. And I'll do a 40-player simultaneous exhibition and then there'll be a feed tournament right after that. So it's
0: something I need. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, So like wine farms, like, like wine. It's like, uh, like vineyards are taking yes. an interest in chess. Yeah. Um, so there
1: are a lot of those in Cape Town. Just because I think, um, okay, there are a lot of um, open fields and mountains and so on. And you'll find that wine farms are collectively just a... I think a natural theme in the Western Cape. It's a lot of the the wine you'll find all over South Africa are uh, based in Western Cape or Cape Town. Even abroad, you'll find wine from Cape Town.
0: And uh, are you going to be like streaming from uh, from there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's fun.
1: Yeah, wow. so I'll take my laptop, my camera, mic and all the things with me. And yeah, I think it'll be fun.
0: <laughs> what is that? Uh, so I... I assume that your goal now is to try to reach that 2,100 rating threshold. Um, do you have kind of a roadmap of of some some tournaments that you're eyeing for locally or, or abroad, or is it very much just, you know, taking what you can get?
1: A uh, little bit of both. I do have some plans for later on in the year. I think I'll take some weeks out of November to sort of um, maybe even score m- more than a few tournaments in Europe. Because, of course, one return ticket to Europe, I mean, hopefully things are back to normal and the borders are open and I'll be able to play three or four tournaments back to back while I'm there. Um, I found that playing in Europe, it's the easiest way to gain rating because a lot of South African players are underrated. And I mean, we end up working on our chess, but never getting the opportunity to play and actually earn you know a higher rating since maybe chess is not as popular in South Africa as you find in Europe.
0: Yes. I, I guess, um, something I talk about a lot on the podcast you know, I have, I've had people like from, from just like improvers, um, to like grandmasters, um, on the, sh- on the show. And, uh, something I always try to ask everybody when we talk about like, you know, somebody's chess. I don't try to get too technical, but, um, you know, now that you're, you are like gunning for, for WGM, you have all the requirements. You just need the rating. Um, do you have a sense of like weaknesses in your game that like things that you know you need to work on and i guess what i'm wondering is how do you plan on working on those things everything, everything yeah <laughs> no
1: um i need uh to be honest i definitely need to work on okay generally open pre- opening preparation I find that even though I feel pretty confident, usually in my end games, there's a lot of in-game studies I could do. It's a little short notice, but end games are more of a long-term goal um, for general improvement. But short-term, I'd focus on tactics, openings, and yeah, I mean, I'm just reading books pretty much. I mean, I have a book right here. It's uh, How Life Imitates Chess. I mean, there isn't any chess positions or anything in it, but Gary Kasparov Um wrote uh, this book. I think there was another one by Josh Waitzkin. I'm trying to get my hands on The Art of War, um, which is also pretty good based on, on chess and all that jazz. So generally it's never a good idea to sort of um, train or change your way of thinking um, with a tournament around the corner, because if you're putting a lot of effort into your chess short, for a short term, um, it's not gonna work out. I mean, you're going to take a dip before you go up and you don't want that dip to happen when the most important tournament is here so if i want to be good or be better in six months then i can start thinking about working on middle game strategies and all the rest
0: do you have um are, are you like do you like read chess books frequently like like with you know because i know how life imitates chess is um you, you said is more just about like philosophy and kasparov just talking about life But do you do um, read like chess books, like you know the quote-unquote classics, or just like more recent things?
1: Not as often as I used to. I used to spend a lot of time, especially in uh, my school years, I used to spend a lot of time reading books like uh, "60 Memorable Games" by Bobby Fischer, um, "Winning with the French" by Wolfgang Ullman. I really enjoyed the French defense. I'm trying to move away from it, but I think uh, some part of me is always going to love the French. Um, There was also um just an endgame's book uh, but it was like capablanca's you know end game uh, endgame end game manual something i've tackled before but i don't recommend it for someone who is lower than about 2300 strength <laughs> um so maybe just silman's end game manual is really good and then there's arthur yusupov uh, building your chess which I'm wanting to tackle. So there's a bunch of books that I sort of have lined up in my queue of things I need to tackle, but I don't even have time for the work I must do. So let right. alone reading.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you, have you found that that streaming, just streaming five hours a day or like whenever you're going on, has have you found that that's given you like concrete chess improvement? Uh,
1: maybe kept my chess fitness up. I'm not too sure about the chess improvement. Maybe just helping me I improve my blitz a little bit, (laughs) but a lot of the time it's about focusing on the content creation rather than on the improvement. It's nice when there is improvement that comes along with it. You're like, oh, okay, I didn't know this. Or, you know, chat comes in and um, suggests something. But otherwise, I think it's just a bonus. It's not ever one of the goals unless you're doing puzzles or intentionally doing online or on stream coaching. Um, a lot of the time when I was giving lectures on chess 24, they were all themed lectures. So it was all based on a concept, a concept or an opening, and that required preparation on my part. And when I was preparing, I was learning as well. And then when I was teaching the concept, I was reminding myself of what this concept meant for me and how I can apply it as well. So the best way to improve or the best way to learn is also to teach something, which I learned. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's definitely true. I found uh, as uh, even when I'm, uh, I graduated from college recently, but, you know, when I was kind of having to teach things to people who are younger than me, suddenly I'm like, oh, wait, hey, that makes sense too. Uh, yeah. I have two more questions. First of all, I'm wondering uh, what about the French defense is uh, so alluring to you? Because I have been playing chess for four years. Mm -hmm. and i i will never want to even touch the french um so i guess uh a little advertisement for the french defense for some of our listeners who may be getting (laughs) into chess or maybe are looking for something new
1: um i don't know about something new but for me it's always been a sort of comfort zone Uh, i think i play it because i've been playing it since 2012 2013 And back then, I never knew what chess base was or Ripka or Fritz or any of that stuff. So I had an A4 hardcover notebook and my coach always brought with like John Nunn's opening book. And it's like this really thick opening book. And it was very difficult for me to read as well, because it's one of those classical um, classically notated books as well. And he would read out the notation and say, "Okay, this line is good. Um, This is what happens if your opponent does this. And I took a pencil and I wrote down every single line and memorized the entire um, sort of, I I don't know how many pages there were, but everything there I had memorized. Of course, over the years, my memory has faded. But um, like I said, it's always been a comfort zone because it's something I ended up playing religiously. And now easy to fall back on if I ever get nervous. So it's
0: good. Well are you um, I mean again yeah. you're preparing for uh you're preparing for the World Cup so maybe no need to leak uh leak your opening prep but um how, so have <laughs> you been switching it up recently with new openings?
1: I've been dabbling. But a lot of it like a lot of my preparation is based on um sort of what I've seen from my opponents but also I really really like looking at the current games that are happening like with the um the Magnus Carlsen tour uh, that's recently happened. The Champions Chess Tour. There's also the um, Women's Beaches Championship on chess.com that I recently commented on. Not a lot of that has sort of influenced my choices when it comes to choosing an opening and so on. So I do get creative sometimes. And sometimes I don't even play. Or I play something that I've never played before. So it's not entirely... I don't think it's possible for me to leak anything because half the time I don't even know what I'm about to play. (laughs) Yeah, so it doesn't worry me too much. Yeah. But if I were to sell the French, I'd say it's sort of a a great way to start out slow and launch this attack because you're always having a central break of C5 and F6. And after that, you're controlling the center if possible. You're even having like a queen side attack and I've won amazing games with the French before. And I mean, obviously it's a solid opening.
0: My last question, maybe this is a double dip, um, but this is something I ask all my guests. Um, yeah. If you had one opening, you had to teach like anybody, you know, beginner, someone who's been playing for many years, maybe, maybe a promising student that you're coaching. Um, what would it be and why?
1: The Scotch Gambit because i really like attacking chess and this involves giving up a pawn in the beginning of the game in order to sort of in some cases some instances trick your opponent and if they don't know the theory at all they're pretty much doomed i mean i was 1600 strength in 2014 and i beat a 2100 <laughs> just wow. like that playing the scotch gambit and i didn't expect anything out of the game but somehow it worked out in my favor and she had to give up a queen in order to save the position. So it, it was so double-edged and it's a sharp opening. So I'd recommend teaching that to maybe an up-and-coming student as a secret weapon and not to play it religiously. No. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, well, um, and I think actually I'm pretty sure Hikaru Nakamura maimed that opening for many years when he was like much younger. I think that's actually what he the thing he just one trick to NM. Uh so <laughs> Must be pretty good. I've never played it before. Um, definitely should give it a look. Mm. Um, although I have seen some people on chess Twitter talking about you know finding something new once they reach a certain level. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, I want to thank you so much. Um, I will be rooting for you in Sochi. Um, and I'm rooting for you and Rebecca to have your continued growth. Um, you. you guys can follow Jesse on Twitter. I think it's at Jesse underscore Feb.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much all my social media accounts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Hashtag chess on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can follow this chess podcast on Twitter at 64podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, AIM Chess, for sponsoring this video. Uh, And I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for having me, David.